open up God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are God, and we thank you that your Son is God, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit is God. Lord, that there's some of this that is just inexplicable mystery for us. And that's okay, because Lord, we're human. We are finite. You are infinite. We don't know everything. You know everything. But Lord, we do pray that you would give us understanding of what you have revealed to us. And you have revealed to us your son. And you have told us about him in your word and you have pointed us to him in your word and you have shown us what he has made with you, even our own bodies and our hands, our eyes, our fingers, our, our, our voices. Father, we are grateful to be here. We are grateful for the breath that you give us in our lungs each and every, every moment. And Lord, we come also confessing that we have not honored you as you have deserved day by day. Lord, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, whether that is by word, or that is by deed, or that is by thought, Lord, we pray we are not worthy to come before you. And Lord, you are holy and so you cannot tolerate sin, but you, Lord Jesus, are not merely are not merely our definition of holy, but you are your definition of holy, and that means that you are wholly just and you are wholly merciful. And because you are wholly just, you took the payment for our sins as the only one who could. And you are wholly merciful and you took the payment for our sins that we can come to you, that we can worship you, that we can be with you, Father, forever through Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here and who are listening today that you would refresh our hearts in this truth. Lord, in one sense, it is good that we operate day by day um, taking some of your... Um, good kindness and the way what you have done, the truths of you, uh, for granted. I use that hesitantly, um, but Lord, we do pray that we would not take it for granted. In another sense, that it would be on our on, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our words, in our lives, day after day, that you would be glorified, that our lives would be about you. So, Lord, we ask for your help. And we ask, that, Lord, that you would help your church across the world today. Lord, we're able to meet. Some are in places that it are, it's not possible. And that was even the case before COVID-19. Lord, we pray especially for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Lord, please encourage them, help them not to lose heart. And help us, Lord, to be encouraged by their godly example that they continue to walk with you though all in their lives are taken away. Lord, may we know you and see you as worthy today. Please open our eyes to your word. Give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. Help our hearts to be soft to what you have to say. Help our minds to be 
eager to understand, eager to think, eager to observe and wonder. We give you thanks for your word that you have chosen to reveal yourself. And we pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, please get a Bible this morning We are and open up to the fifth chapter of the book of John. We are continuing our series through the Gospel of John called Life in His Name. And as you turn there, between turning pages, I want to see if I can get a show of hands of anyone here who, whether you are now or were, as a child, tried to parent your siblings or someone else's kids. Anybody? Okay, I have at least a few bold people. That's statistically the case. But I know all of you have, you power-stealing tyrants. So I have a question for you. You, you know what I refer to when I say parenting and parenting your siblings, where you try to you take the role of your own parent and make sure that your that your brother your sister does maybe what mom and dad want to do, but the way you want to do it, or maybe what you want to do, and you try to use mom and dad's authority to to get away with it. Well, what's the problem with that picture with a with a with a kid trying to act like he or she is the parent? Well, <laughs> it's, it's not a trick question. I mean, really, it's simple. They're the kid. Another way of putting this in the negative, they're not the parent. And therefore, they don't have a to- the authority to tell other kids what to do. <laughs> and, if you're, and if you've been on the receiving end of that, eventually you get the hint too that they don't really have the authority to uh, be bossing you around. Who gave you the authority, big brother, big sister? And even when mom or dad gives them a message for their siblings, and this has been the case in my house, I don't know if, you, <laughs> if it's been your house, where you send one of your children off with a message for the other kid, and I don't know if the message gets garbled or something or if it's coming just from the wrong mouth, but... Um, the message just never either gets never received or just gets balked at when it gets there. And, and, there, and just generally, there's something in the human heart, because frankly, the scripture says of sin, that balks at real authority. That balks, especially when that real authority doesn't line up with how we think things should go. So when Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, comes To his own, as John 1 verse 11 says, he comes to his own, the Jews. In our passage today, they are the religious folks who have expectations about how God has authority and especially about how he displays that authority to them. They respond to him as though he's just an older parent, he's just an older sibling trying to be their parent. But actually, that's with Jesus, that's where the picture breaks down. Jesus is fully human. It's true. He is fully human. He gets thirsty. He gets tired. But he is not called the Son of God for nothing. And we're called to believe in Jesus as what? Just a man? No, as the Christ, the Son of God. Because that's what he is. He is fully God in the flesh. 
And when the Jews and ourselves don't like his authority, he does what he does here in our text today. He powerfully and lovingly makes his case that he does have the authority and that we can lovingly trust him and we can trustingly submit to him. So let's read God's word this morning in John chapter 5, starting in verse 19. And if you've gotten there, would you please stand in honor of the word of God as we read. This is John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. You may have a seat. This section we're looking at today is part of a defense that Jesus gives of his divinity to people who are not just questioning it, but actively scorning it and scoffing it. So hopefully you pick this up as we read, but Jesus, the Son, who is God, has authority. Well, saying this raises a few questions, doesn't it? How does Jesus, who is fully human and fully God, have authority? And what does he do with that authority? And can we believe him as the real authority? Okay, so first, how does Jesus have authority? The Jews are disgruntled with him because he's upsetting the apple cart of their life. They've, they have claimed that he's not only breaking the Sabbath, one of the Ten Commandments, and what he's doing on the Sabbath is healing people and doing good and kindness to people, not only breaking the Sabbath, but he's making himself equal with God, which, if it's not true, it's blasphemy and it's worthy of the death penalty according to God's law. Well, Jesus starts his defense to them with this. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And we don't have slides right now, so I'll make the point really, really clear if you're a note taker. Jesus has authority through dependence on the Father. 
It's odd to think about Jesus as having dependence. But what we need to clarify right at the outset here in this text is that this dependence is not the kind of dependence that the prophets of the Old Testament had. Where they, they required God to speak in order to hear from him, in order to proclaim his word to the people. So how do we know that from this text? Do you remember the saying, the prophets of the Old Testament always gave prophecy and instruction, making clear that they were not God, but they carried his message. What'd they say? They usually said something like, depending on your version, thus saith the Lord. The, the Lord God says this. Thus says the Lord. They had no word of their own that carried any authority, any weight. But here, what are, when Jesus speaks, what are the words that he uses? What does he say? Truly, truly. And that's a way Jesus calls us here is to pay attention. This is important, hearers. He's not going to mess around with us here. He's going to shoot straight. He says, truly, truly, what? I say to you. Jesus understands his words are the words of God. And so he speaks with that understanding, and we should understand them that way. I say to you, and then he moves from an authoritative I say to you to what? To making an argument actually in the, in the third person. And part of this is the style of argumentation of that day. But here, Jesus is making clear that he's not out for his own agenda. As if he's a separate God. Or he's merely a fallen human making insane claims to Godhood. No, he's God in the flesh. And thus he's about God's agenda. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, verse 19, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. It's, it's awesome and it's so true and it, it should make perfect sense. Jesus has never been, nor ever will be, and is never at cross purposes with God, with the Trinity, God who is three in one. Commentator Westcott wrote, Perfect sonship involves perfect identity of will and action with the, with the Father. So when we say Jesus depends on the Father, we're not diminishing his Godhood at all, his divinity. We're not diminishing that at all. He is pointing out that his will, his desires, his actions are so fatherward that they should never be thought of as separate from God. Which Again, totally makes sense if you think about it. For that's what it means to be God. He is so God is so consistent and whole and unified in his nature. He is the fully perfect relationship, if we can say that. The fully perfect being. And he is fully perfect in love. Jesus can do nothing on his own. Jesus sees what his Father is doing because, as the passage goes on, whatever... For the Father loves the Son, verse 20, and shows him all that he himself is doing. God is a loving God, and love always gives, even within himself. And when it is God the Father loving God the Son, it is so perfect that the Son is able to, the Son as God is able to see and understand in totality who God the Father is. This is incredible. And this might be going way high over our heads. 
You see, we as finite creatures are given sufficient revelation to know him. But we, can't, we can never know God in totality like Jesus can. Because Jesus as God knows him perfectly, fully, and consummately. And because he knows him this well, Jesus doesn't need to conjure up his own authority apart from God. He expresses the full authority of God, submitting to God the Father perfectly, desiring to make him known to humanity to whom he was sent. This is why Jesus is called the Son, and God the Father is called the Father. They are distinct in their relationship with one another, but know each other perfectly. John, verse, John 1 verse 18 says, says of Jesus, No one has ever seen God. The only God, who is Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Again, we, don't fully under, understand, we won't fully understand this relationship because we're not God. But we can see pictures that can point a little bit to it occasionally. Have you ever been around a, a, a godly married couple who's been married a long time? I'm talking like 50 years or more. And even though I know that they're from different families of origin, you know what happens after this couple has looked year after year after year lovingly, for the most part, in their faces, in each other's faces, looking at Jesus' face year after year, dealing with each other's ways of doing things, learning to work together, living life together side by side? You know what happens? This couple actually begins to look like each other. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Yes, I mean, I mean in mannerisms, like in knowing each other's thoughts, finishing each other's sentences, but also even in physical appearance. It's, I, I, I can't explain it. It's, it's crazy, but it, I, I've seen it. And maybe, hopefully you have too. It's really, really neat. They're unique, but they are one together. And this is a little picture that God has given us of what it's like in the relationship that God the Son, Jesus, has with his Father. Scripture says he is the perfect radiance of God. So because the Son, because Jesus is this Son, his authority comes through dependence on the Father, and that makes him trustworthy. He's not out for himself. But that's, so that's how. But what does Jesus do with that authority? This brings us to number two. Jesus has authority to do two things. Jesus has authority to judge and to give life in this life. And greater works, verse 20 continuing says, and greater works than these he will, show, will he show him so that you may marvel. Jesus has been healing. He's been doing amazing things on the Sabbath to point out that he is the one whom God has sent, the Son of God. And he's about to explain that the heavenly authority of salvation, judgment, and life are his. He's basically saying, you guys haven't even seen anything yet. You're going to see so much greater and be amazed. And he goes on in verse 21. He says, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, 
but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Father. All may honor, honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, there's that pay attention phrase again, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You see, in one sense, when we read, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. In one sense, if you are a living, breathing human being, you have been given life by Jesus. Because he's the word through whom all things were created. So there is that sense. But that creation, as we all know very well from experience, that creation was corrupted through mankind's sin. So we can't look at this passage and say that Jesus' only intention in doing greater works, in choosing to give life to whom he will, is just to raise sinful people, only to have them die again in their sins. That's not his main intention. He will give an example of how he's able to do this with Lazarus several chapters later. But, that's, but Lazarus dies again, but that's not the end for Lazarus. But Jesus doesn't raise just so people, just so people can die in their sins. That's hardly God's idea of life. That should not be our idea of life either. Just to be made new, to just keep going on in in filth. No. Ephesians 2 verse 1 through 7 says this, is that the kind of life that we have apart from God is actually death. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is, at, who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now in that passage, did you notice the we all once lived? This is our state apart from Jesus giving life, apart from hearing his word and believing him who sent Jesus. But now, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now in mercy, he has made us alive together in Christ, with Christ. So, discouraged believer, who's been beaten up this week, or maybe beaten up for a while. Listen to your great hope. Your great hope isn't you. It's Jesus, the Son, who gives life to whom He will. And also, listen up to you who have not yet heard. 
It is Jesus to whom you are to listen because he's the one who gives life to whom he will. And it is not only he who gives life as he chooses. Spiritual life, where we are reconciled to God from our sins, taken away by Jesus at the cross. It's Jesus who has been made judge, which is a great thing that he is and not us. And why has he been made judge? Judge being the one who can declare guilty and the one who can declare someone forgiven and made righteous. What does it say? He's given all judgment to the Son, verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. If you honor Jesus, if you believe in him in repenting faith, You honor the Father who sent him. If you reject Jesus, no matter how much you might think you are honoring the Father by doing deeds of kindness, philanthropy, compassion, acts of peace, the reality is you are not one bit closer to God than the atheist who plainly denies God's existence and does everything that the world might call evil. But Jesus has been given all judgment so that all may honor the Son. And in Him, and in this life, we are given the opportunity by the judge to believe Him, to honor Him. So how does the Son give life? How does the Son exercise His judgment at present? Verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's not just pay attention, this is real. And in case you didn't get that it was real the first truly, I'll say it again, truly, truly. I say to you, whoever, anyone, everyone, race, class, whatever your job or whatever your job might not be, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Romans 10 verse 7 says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We who believe have heard the word of Jesus Christ. And so we who have heard ought to pray, as someone probably did for us. We ought to pray to the Lord as we desire the salvation of our loved ones, our neighbors, even our enemies, that they would hear his word and believe him who sent Jesus. And whoever hears his word and believes in him, believes him who sent him, what does he have? He has eternal life. Has! Present tense that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is a present reality, secured and guaranteed reality for the one who looks to the Son of God, who hears his voice, who looks to him who was crucified on the cross to take away sins and rise on the third day in glory. He has eternal life. That means you who are here right now, you who are listening 
to my voice right now and believe Jesus, thus believing the Father who has sent him, the author and authority of life, you are living eternal life right now. Yes, there are some things that are not so hunky-dory on this side of eternal life. And yes, your body will fail you one day. But you do not need to be afraid. Why? The passage goes on. He, that is whoever, the, per- the person who hears Jesus' word and believes him who sent Jesus, he does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. Already. Second Corinthians says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And it also says in that same letter, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So for you who believe in Jesus, your spiritual death is over. And you who believe him, bank on this. You shall never, never face the judgment of rejecting his son. Never face the judgment of dishonoring his son. Though you may have done so. For you were not sent in the world to be your salvation. It was Jesus he who is sent in the world, into the world not to condemn the world, as John 3 says, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus has authority to judge and give life in this life. Now, if we were like the world, we would stop there. If we were like some theological liberalism, we would stop there. But it's not just about this life. It's not just about here and now. Because God is eternal and he gives eternal life, we have a much, much greater and higher trajectory than just right here, right now. As beautiful though, as though that might be because we are in Christ. Eternal life is called eternal because it goes beyond this part, where we, this part where we are wrestling and putting on Christ and putting off the old man, when we're trying, when we're working by the Holy Spirit to put to death the evil desires of the flesh and deny ourselves for the for Christ and His gospel. How does Jesus use His authority? Third, Jesus has authority to judge and give life. Forever. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 25, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. See, Jesus' life is part of what has been called by theologians for centuries the already and the not yet. Already, Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 17. And thus he said, repent, therefore. But but as you know, the kingdom has not been consummated yet. Not all has been made perfect. Jesus later told his disciples in the book of John, 
before he was to be crucified, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that you may be where I am also. See, already salvation is available to those who hear by faith the voice of the Son of God and have eternal life. And we are already being sanctified. Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you shall see it through to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But even as that verse suggests, there is more to come. And Jesus has the authority to judge and give life now and forever. There is no other voice. There is no other name that can do this. And God will not send a creature. He will not send an angel nor a saint to finish His work. 1 Thessalonians rings with this glorious not yet. I would encourage you to read it. It's not yet, but it's coming soon. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. He will give life because he is life. In him was life, John 1 verse 4 says of Jesus, the word, and the life was the light of men. And here in chapter 5 verse 26, it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Jesus, the Son of God, does not have to rely on an outside source for life like we do. He is life. And he has the authority to speak and give life. And what's even even better is that he has chosen to do so. He has chosen to do so now, and he has chosen to do so in the future. Spiritual life that one day includes physical life. Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. But just as he has authority to judge in this life, He has authority to judge as king at the end. Look at this curious verse in verse verse 27, chapter 5. And he, God the Father, has given him, God the Son, authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he is the Son of Man. He has authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Well, if you know anything about Jesus in his life, that was one of the... That was one of Jesus' favorite self-designations, Son of Man. Part of it was an identification, yes, that he was human. But his Jewish audience knew this comes from a very powerful passage which we read at the beginning of the service, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the visions and behold, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus uses that title here to say, He's that guy! I'm the one your Old Testament scriptures point to. And in the fulfillment of the scripture, he has been given the authority to execute judgment. <laughs> but before they can think too much about this verse, he goes right to verse he goes right in to the next sentence. He says, "Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out." Whose voice? Maybe you read it more carefully than I did at the first time. Whose voice? Here's where I want to encourage you that sometimes you will not see until you look and look. Whose voice? The Son of God? It's easy to say that because it's true. The Son of God can speak and those who are in the tombs will hear his voice. But Jesus doesn't say it that way. He says... His voice being the Son of Man's. A mere human cannot save us or the Jews. It could only be God Himself as a man who could fulfill the promise as He made clear over and over in the Scriptures. And God has not designed His salvation to be from a God way out there but a God with flesh and blood who dwelt among us. We are resurrected by a man, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who has authority to judge and who stood in front of these Jews and spoke that they would believe and that you and I who hear him speaking now would believe and that all in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And then there's a fork in the road, verse 29. And come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And us good Protestants should say, wait, did he just say those who do good will have resurrection of life and those who do bad will have resurrection of judgment? As if it's works righteousness? Uh, no. Maybe a qualified yes, because what does Jesus mean by good? What does Jesus mean by doing good? See, the testimony of Scripture is not the response of the world about what is good and what doing good is. Scripture's testimony is that good works are those that are done what? In faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, implied faith in his Son, it is impossible to please God. And even in this passage, Jesus has been saying over and over that it is him to be, who is to be honored, him to be, who is to be believed, his word to be heard, his Father to be trusted. And if that's not explicit enough for you, John 6, 29, Jesus tells the crowd that the work of God, the work that people are to be doing, that is God's work, is to believe him who sent him. 
believing Jesus. So doing good is in faith. It is faith. It's not our own working, our own conjuring. And if that's what do if that's what doing good is, faith in Christ and a life of faith in Christ. If someone does not believe Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, John has already said what that means from chapter 3. It means, you can look this in John chapter 3, it means that whoever does not believe Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, it means they love the darkness rather than the light. It means they love evil rather than good. And it means that they are condemned already. So, if you, right now, don't believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus doesn't need to judge you. You have already shown yourself condemned because you're rejecting the only one who can save. Hester H., I'm going to probably butcher this last name, but Colmondelli wrote a little poem called Betrayal, which really, I think, captures this well, about Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. He writes, Still as of old, men by themselves are priced. For 30 pieces Judas sold, Himself, not the Christ. You see, unless you trust in the authority of judgment and life, unless you repent, this resurrection of judgment that Jesus speaks of here is forever. Scripture calls it very unpopular words, but they are very true and very real. Scripture calls it hell. Calls it the second death. And it is not God's arbitrariness. It is the confirmation of condemnation by him who has authority to judge. And I say all this not as judge, but who sees it written here. And I see it as one who's been shown mercy by that judge and want to see mercy for you For the Christian, however, let's remember that we do nothing to contribute to our salvation and we have nothing in ourselves to keep our salvation. It is a gift of grace through and through that we receive. To all who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. You see, for we who hear his voice and believe him who sent him, Once we are brought to life, we are given the Holy Spirit who through us bears good fruit and we by his power and working do good works as the fruit of our salvation, not the cause of it. It's his giving life, his working that we are saved and kept to the end. So when we are resurrected, you and I, when we are resurrected to life because of faith, 
and the confirmation of that faith through doing good. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has authority through dependence on his Father, who has authority to judge and give, his, give in this life and has authority to judge and give life forevermore. When we are resurrected, we can proclaim that he is the author of life, that he is worthy of all praise, and that he has done a wonderful thing for us. Jesus, the Son of God, has authority. Can he be trusted with this, in this authority, as this authority? You bet. Absolutely. In fact, every authority Jesus has set up, whether that's in the marriage relationship, whether that's in the family, the church, or even the state, when we submit to his authority, all of those places where he has given authority go so much better. See, I want to close with this. All of us, apart from Christ, are power-stealing tyrants, little siblings wanting to parent, trying to exercise authority we have not been given over those who are not under our authority. But when, as the scripture says, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters has come, who is Christ, God in the flesh, he has the authority. If we hear his voice, we can gladly submit our lives to him. You know, the saying goes like father, like son, right? Here is Jesus who came because God, his father, so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life through his death and his everlasting life. And Jesus, who has the authority, speaks for those who would hear this morning. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. And those who have done good will see the resurrection of life in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for such a great salvation. Thank you that you have given us your word to believe. You have, you have yourself come as the word to be believed. And Lord, we confess you did not have to do this. You were within perfect rights to let us die away in our sins. Because we had offended you and offended you in an infinite way. But as your word says and as we believe today, even when we were dead in the trespasses and sins, you showed mercy. You made us alive together with Christ. Thank you for life. Thank you that we get to worship you today because of your life because of the life you have given us. 
And thank you for the promise of resurrection. Thank you that our breaking, our breaking bodies are not all that there is. Thank you that the struggles and the problems and the broken relationships that we face day in and day out are not all that there is. Thank you that there is redemption and that there is hope. Eternal hope. Oh Lord, please be glorified in bringing sons and daughters to yourself today. Be glorified in encouraging and filling the hearts of your people today to persevere. For you have worked such a great salvation and you who began the good work will see it to completion. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus. We ask for your help now to sing to your name and to glorify you in all things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.